0: Welcome to new books and biography. I'm Oline Eaton. Much has been written about the American civil war. And yet one of the great pieces of missing history within that is the role of women as soldiers and as spies. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Karen Abbott about a group of those women who she writes about in her new book entitled liar, temptress, soldier, spy Four women undercover in the civil war. Hi, Abbott. Thank you so much for joining us for new books and biography. Um, so, in, in exciting milestones, you're actually our first repeat guest. But for those of who, those who oh. missed the podcast of American Rose, if you could kick things off by telling us a bit about yourself, that'd be great. I know that Google thought you were dead for a while. So, if yeah. you want to correct that, then this would be this would be your chance.
1: <laughs> the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I, I, I got Google to at least admit I'm alive, um, but yet I'm still being confused with another Karen Abbott, uh, hence I'm going by Abbott right now for the foreseeable future. So O-line meet Abbott, Abbott <laughs> meet O-line. <laughs> um, so Liar Temptor Soldier
0: Spy is the story of four different women, and I want to move into a discussion of, of structure and sources and stuff in a second, but I wondered if first you could just introduce us to each of these women individually.
1: Sure. And, and first, thanks for having me back. It's an honor to be a guest. So. Um, but yes, Liar to a True Soldier Spy is the true story of four women who risked everything for their cause during the Civil War. Um, there were two for the North and two for the South. Uh, the first one for the South was a 17-year-old named Belle Boyd, um, who was this spitfire um, and sort of kicked things off by uh, shooting a Union soldier who invades her home and threatens to raise a flag um, outside of her house. Um, and, and Belle did not take kindly to that. Uh, so Bell uh, Belle, Belle shot him. Um, her Southern uh, comrade is Rose O'Neill Greenhalgh, who was older. She was in her 40s, and she was this beautiful woman, um, a widow and sort of high lady of Washington society for many years until Lincoln was elected and wiped out democratic rule. And she sort of lost her place. Um, But she was a fascinating, calculating, crafty woman who managed to seduce numbers of generals and high ranking politicians, both on the North and Confederate sides and um, really knew um, politics well. She was very smart. And she also had a young daughter named Little Rose who figured into her espionage plans, which I thought was interesting. On the Union side, we have Elizabeth Van Leeu, who was sort of Rose's counterpart. Um, You know, Rose was operating in the federal capital of Washington, D.C., and Elizabeth was a Unionist and a Northern sympathizer living in Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy. So uh, and she was equally daring. Um, She had Confederate detectives on her constantly. And not only that, her own sister-in-law was an ardent Confederate sympathizer and lived with Elizabeth in the house. So here Elizabeth is carrying on this really elaborate, intricate espionage operation, which just got increasingly dangerous as the war went on, right under the noses of suspicious Confederate detectives. Um, And the last one is Emma Edmonds, who was a 19-year-old woman who disguised herself as a man and enlisted in the Union Army. Um, And she served the Union Army as a nurse, as a courier, as a mail deliverer, and a spy going undercover several times and uh, uh, some quite interesting disguises and adventures there.
0: So I know in biography often either you find the story or the story finds you, which was it in this case?
1: Well, in this case, it was um, it, it was a matter of me moving from the north to the south. You know, I, I'm from Philadelphia, and I moved to Atlanta in 2001. I stayed there for six years. Um, but when I got there, I was immediately shocked by uh, the, the way the Civil War was just sort of um, still co- a common everyday discussion. It's something that's still seeped into people's lives and conversation on a regular basis, which, of course, really isn't what happens in the North. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I got used to seeing Confederate flags on lawns and listening to talk about the War of Northern Aggression. And uh, (laughs) it was just sort of something that that really came up uh, quite more often than I would have anticipated. So I thought that was interesting. And of course, I had read, you know, Tony Hart's great Confederates in the Attic. That was sort of my uh, survival guide to living (laughs) in the South. (laughs) And and then one day I got stuck in traffic, which if anybody lives in Atlanta knows, happens quite frequently, Mm -hmm. Um, and I was behind a truck with a bumper sticker that said don't blame me i voted for jeff davis um and then i was like okay i, I you know it's, this is a sign telling me I, I need to look and see what else is there what, what what were the women doing i know what the generals were doing i know what the men were doing the men were off fighting what were the women doing how did they how did they handle the going off to war and what, what was their work um And I was, of course, attracted to the most extreme women who were doing the most extreme things. You know, many women just sort of darn socks and raised money and uh, sewed uniforms. Um, But a couple other people were really determined to try to change the course of the war. And and those are the women I wanted to find. Mm
0: -hmm. And it really is great to give voice to them because so often the women's voice is just Mary Chestnut or just a person who was writing a diary or some letters or something. And so it's really exciting to have a story like this that shows people so much more involved.
1: Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. Although I have to say Mary Chesson's diary is fantastic window into what Southern women were thinking at the time and just such a sharp mm-hmm. place um, that, that really captured um, that milieu perfectly. So, yeah.
0: yeah. So what sources were most helpful to you?
1: Um, I have to say, you know, I had to start, I, I didn't know much about the war. So I sort of started with the broad general histories, you know, Stephen Sears, James McPherson, even Carl Sandburg, Shelby Foote, I just sort of immersed myself in general war knowledge, Um and then moved in. And of course, the more exciting things is to read the diaries and the journals and the letters, um, the little things that give you bits of, of modern day life, or, you know, life at that time, that contemporary life. Um, and then the archives. You know, I, I had great fun at the National Archives, and it's always a thrill. It's sort of like a detective chase going from box to box and folder to folder and seeing things that, that people probably haven't looked at in decades. Um, and one of my biggest thrills was um, in the National Archives, and I opened a folder, and there were um, encrypted messages from Rose O'Neill Greenhow, this yellow, tattered paper, still like amazingly intact and, and pretty decent condition um, with her encrypted dispatches and a little scrap of black silk. Um, she used to wrap her in, her dispatches in a little black silk pouch and then tie it up into a courier's hair. So she tied hide it in the 16-year-old's bun um, and just to be able to touch that scrap of black silk that she used, um, you know, this was right during the First Battle of Bull Run, which was a crucial battle and, and actually kept the South in the war. The fact that the South won the battle, first Battle of Bull Run ensure that the war went on. And Rose was instrumental in that. And to hold that in my hand was just really a visceral thrill. Mm -hmm.
0: So biographical structure is one of my obsessions. And I find that you're always doing really interesting things structurally. So what was the thinking behind the structure of this book?
1: Well, I, you know, there were more um, female spies than the ones I chose, you know, and more female soldiers than just Emma Edmonds. Um, But I really was deliberately picking these four. Um, Number one, I thought they each represented a sort of archetype and a different point of view and and their voices were all distinctly different, which was important to me. But even more important was the fact that their stories connected. Um, They bumped up into each other and they met the same people. Um, Even if they weren't always in the same room or physically interacting with one another, although uh, Rose and Bell did at one time, you know, hang out together in Richmond. Uh, you know, the women were all meeting the same people. They were all their actions had a cause and effect. You know, for example, Rose is spying on the Union Army, and she's actually watching Emma Edmonds march by. And Rose's spying, of course, directly affects the Union Army, and which affects Emma. So there are sort of connections like that throughout the book, and it was really great fun for me to to see the cause and effect and to put the puzzle pieces together. Um, at one point, I physically cut up the chapters and the <laughs> different stories, and I laid them out on my apartment floor, which when you live in like 600 square feet in New York, <laughs> you know, my poor husband couldn't walk anywhere, um, and uh, just sort of rearranged it and, and was able to uh, find connections that way that el- would have eluded me on the computer screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wondered if that had happened at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it had, but it, it was fun. I, and, you know, just even things like um, Bell had a great conversation with Benjamin Beast Butler that really hated union detect, uh, union general. Um, and she had spat some really bell like, uh, <laughs> vitriol at him. And then in the next scene, he's recruiting Elizabeth Van Loo to spy for the union. Mm-hmm. So there's just source of the those source connections were, were fun for me.
0: Yeah. Um, so in this, we're also moving between four fully developed different worlds. Um, was that a new challenge to write? And did you have a, pre- did you come to like one of those worlds more than the other?
1: Oh, I I admired all the women in in the same way. I I have to say, you know, I was amused by Belle. Belle would just make me laugh. If I was having a bad day, I would want to write about Belle because I thought she was so ridiculous and so insane. And she was all id and had no filter and said whatever she wanted to say and did whatever she wanted to do, even if what she wanted to do was like kill and main people. She just did it and sort of blithely got away with it um, and and was able to to sort of charm her way out of every situation. And I, I just found her endlessly fascinating um, and funny and, and sort of, you know, that letter she writes to her cousin in the beginning where she says, I am most, the, the most beautiful of all your cousins and my foot is perfect. You know, it's just sort <laughs> of the way she spoke about herself. Um, you know, and she was sort of so earnest in her beliefs, even though they were misguided. And she was so uh, savvy at self-promotion and not caring about uh, the ramifications of her self-promotion. It was sort of like a Civil War era, uh, Miley Cyrus meets Sarah Palin. I mean, it was <laughs> she was just such a bizarre character to me. So I, I really enjoyed her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also really enjoyed Emma Edmonds in, in some le- level because... Her situation was so difficult, and yet she exhibited this sort of superhuman strength. Um, and I just was sitting there thinking, how difficult would it be to be a 19-year-old girl uh, disguising yourself as a man, enlisting, fighting along alongside all these men, and then finding yourself falling in love with one of them? Mm-hmm. And what was that situation like? And knowing that if you told him, it was torture either way. Um, if you kept quiet about it, you were just sort of quietly suffering with that, uh, unset emotion. Um, and if you did tell him you risk being arrested, you risk being kicked out of the army, which was, you know, so important to her to, to fight. So it was sort of her, 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 um, the way she got away with what she did and the way she sort of handled herself and that quiet vulnerability she had, I thought was a really interesting combination.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of that, what was the reality of, um, female spies in the armies? How many, do they have sort of an approximate number of how many women were serving?
1: Of, of soldiers? Yes. Sorry. Um, there's a, you know, they estimate there are about 400 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Emma Edmonds has gotten a lot of press because she's one of the few um, who has written a memoir um, that, that really checks out on most levels. And uh, it was one of the most fascinating areas of research is to sort of understand how these women got away with it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, there was the cursory army exam. They just tapped somebody on the chest and made sure they had all their fingers and they could rip up con- cartridges with their teeth and just they could shoot a gun and they could run. I mean, it was really sort of as long as you could do those things, you were in. Um, but the, the most fascinating part of that was that, you know, people were so used to seeing women's bodies pushed and pulled in these exaggerated shapes um, with corsets and crinolines that they had no idea what somebody would look like wearing pants, let alone a, a full uniform. So it was un- so unfathomable to them. So just the fact that somebody shows up wearing a pair of pants are automatically thought to be a man. Um, and that was you know one of the biggest reasons they got away with it. So I've already
0: told you this, but I'll, I'll tell you again, uh, that your portrait of Stonewall Jackson is probably my favorite paragraph of, okay. of biographical writing this year. Um, <laughs> And for yep. people listening, it was on page 138 in the proof. So if they have a copy at hand, um, but it's just a really fresh and interesting take on someone that I know that people are often, if you've read about the Civil War, that you think you you already know. Um, yeah. Which now that you've said that you were not familiar with the war before you started this, and that makes me think that you're coming to it with new eyes, and so therefore can bring new things out within the story, which is really really great. Um, So there's a question buried in here and it's that I'm wondering about the matter of working within a frame where people already have ideas about a chunk of the story that you're working with. And you've obviously through the female spies have gotten a corner of it. That's less well-known. But how was it writing about the civil war as opposed to gypsy Rosalie or the Everly club? Did your approach to the research or the writing change at all by dint of it being bigger in terms of historical events and also just bigger in terms of scope of story?
1: Yeah. You know, I had to, um, I had to really just keep telling myself, I'm not writing a book about the Civil War. Right. <laughs> this is a book about these four women's experiences during the Civil War. Um, I, I found myself sometimes getting off into tangents, battles and generals that were interesting, but, but really lost focus on these four women and what they were doing at the time. And I had to constantly keep being pulled back from these tangents mm-hmm. and remind myself that um, so it was a challenge in that, and and uh, in that way, and to try to bring a fresh perspective to people like Stonewall Jackson. I would just, you know, what what were the women's views of him? And of course, luckily, Belle Boyd was obsessed with Stonewall Jackson. <laughs> he was sort of the rock star. You know, he was the rock star of the Civil War for for Southern folks, and you know, Belle had just had great quotes about him. It, um, she said that she wanted to quote occupy his tent and share his dangers. Um <laughs> which which I think probably scared Stonewall Jackson more than George McClellan or the Union Army ever did. Uh he probably wanted to get as far away from Del Boyd as he possibly could at some point. Um <laughs> But, but just sort of looking at the generals through the eyes of the women. And, and Emma Edmonds, um, here's somebody who admired George McClellan, you know, on a different level. She didn't want to, uh, she didn't want to his dangers. Yeah, she didn't want to share his <laughs> dangers. Um, but she she was like, this was this is our general. This is, I adore him. He, he is a moral man. His morals match mine. You know, that was her framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was sort of interesting to maybe look at the men through the eyes of these women, um, even a woman who was herself uh, acting as a man. Mm-hmm. So do you have a favorite story from the book? Oh, God. One of my favorite stories probably does involve Stonewall and Belle Boyd um, when she goes back and tries to uh, see him again in his tent. And, you know, this is after she proves her valor and uh, runs through the battlefield dodging bullets um, at the Battle of Front Royale to deliver him a note and actually gets a note back from him. Or so Belle says, I, I should say that. Uh, she claims that a lot of her papers were destroyed in a fire and there was a fire. So it's feasible. But, you know, it's a historical note you have to put in there. Um, but she she wants to go back and, you know, hang out with Stonewall Jackson again. And she gets there and his aide turns her away and says Stonewall's not convinced of her valor or her loyalty. And Belle is furious and says that if she ever sees the aide back in her hometown of Martinsburg, Virginia, she's going to cut that aide's ears off. Um, so it just sort of uh, gives you an insight into Belle's temper. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course, another situation was it was when she drops a brick on a, a prison guard's head. I mean, there were just examples of her craziness and her temper throughout that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really loved Rose Greenhow in Europe, um, which was unprecedented. I mean, for the Confederacy to send a wo- send a woman over to lobby on behalf of their political government, um, and there, and try to uh, get recognition from the European countries for for their cause was um, was really um, a testament to how highly they thought of her and her skill in diplomacy. Um, and and she, you know, she goes and sees Napoleon the Third and, and insults him. You know, these women just sort of had no filter. Um, and as for Elizabeth van Lu, I was just always ad- admired her daring. I you know, and here's somebody who, Confederate detectives are searching her home and accusing her of hiding union prisoners in her home. You know, rightfully so. You, Elizabeth was hiding Union prisoners in her home. And what does she do? She marches down to the provost marshal and says, How dare you? How dare you send your Confederate detectives over? It is unbecoming of an officer and a gentleman and an insult to unprotected ladies. And of course she was the furthest thing from an unprotected lady. Mm-hmm. So So what did these women do after the war? Oh they uh, each had their own fitting end I think mm-hmm. um, Belle, of course spent part of her time in an insane asylum um, <laughs> which I thought was fitting it's <laughs> not a little tragic um, and I and the idea that she you know went on and performed her adventures on the stage you know I like that she was sort of reliving her glory days and and it was sort of appropriate to me that she was stuck there uh, and stunted there and um, and I also, t- I have to tell you that, that, uh you know, there were Bell Boyd impersonators. She became a sort of cultural phenomenon um, well, well past her time. And uh, my husband told me that actually one of his friends from Atlanta, his old work colleague, said that his daughter in fifth grade just dressed up like Bell Boyd for a, for a school project. So <laughs> Bell Boyd lives on. Um, you know, and Emma Edmonds, of course, was uh, one of the first women to get a pension for her service. Um, she fought to get a pension and, and succeeded in doing so, and, and actually got the government to recognize women that women served mm-hmm. um, Union Army, served in the Union Army, and um, she went on to marry and had a little bit of tragedy of her own. But I think she was sort of satisfied at the end and had a, had a fairly decent ending. Um, and Rose, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to talk about Rose. Uh, you also read the book. And uh, Elizabeth, I thought was interesting too. You know, just sort of here was this really feisty, smart woman. And after the war was over, and after her political appointment, you know, Grant appointed her as postmistress of Richmond, which was a really big deal for a woman at the time—a high political appointment. Um, and then when it was taken away from her, she just had no aim for her will. She had this ferocious will, and she didn't. Have any anywhere to do with it, and all, she was ostracized, and a lot of her money was gone, and um, she was just such a brilliant woman, and, and it was sort of sad to see her uh, sort of flailing and lonely at the end.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But a wonderful legacy. Yeah.
0: So. Um, so you mentioned them um, putting notes in in packets and sticking them in their their spies' buns. So what were their other espionage tactics? Do they have any other clever ones that were?
1: Yeah, and one of my favorite things was to realize how they sort of turned, you know, it was was not, you know, they turned all of the constructs against women, all of the limitations of women. They they turned them to their advantage, um, both physically and psychologically. Uh, So physically, here they're wearing these enormous six-foot-wide crinolines um, that had to be, you know— just a cumbersome in every way, but yet they said, "Oh, I'm going to hide. You know, a roll, army boots, a roll of coffee, five sabers, a pistol, um, and whatever else I can fit under here. And I'm going to go across the lines. And of course, no gentleman is going to check under my skirt. Um, and they got away with it. You know, they used they used their their physical uh, appearance to to hide uh, what they were doing." Um, and Belle was sort of the queen of that. She, she said she smuggled, um, countless, you know, hundreds of rifles across the lines to, to the Southern army. Mm -hmm. Um, and also dolls. Um, I thought this was interesting. I went to the museum of the Confederacy in Richmond and the curator there brought out these, um, paper mache dolls, um, and mothers would put quinine, which was really much needed medicine, um, that would combat malaria. And these oil sacks and stuff them in the heads of these dolls and give them to their children. And, and they, you know, the girls would just walk across the lines and, and nobody would know anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really brilliant. But and, and like I said, they, they also just use their the, the idea of the genteel southern woman um, to, to say, you know, we're unprotected ladies. How dare you attack a woman um, and accuse me of these things? Even Rose Greenhall, who was very blatant with her spying and very blatant in her disrespect and distrust of the federal government. Um, still said, oh, you know, if Lincoln is now resorting to attacking defenseless women, you know, he probably well just give up now. You know, <laughs> so it was sort of um, uh, they, they hid behind that construct and it, was, and it worked for them. The, the North didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. That, you know, Link, one Lincoln official was actually saying, you know, sort of this unprecedented issue of fashionable women spies. Um, women were never the ones to wage war and now they were. Mm
0: hmm. And it was slightly different for Emma because she was within the army and already pretending to be a man. So how did they deploy her as a spy?
1: Well, she, um, I think that worked to her advantage too. Um, she, and one, my, one of my favorite scenes with her was that sort of Victor Victoria mm-hmm. moment where here's a woman disguised as a man who then goes back and disguises herself as a woman, um, in this case an Irish peddler woman. Um, and that's one of my favorite scenes of the book. And I think the fact that she had was used to being a chameleon and used to changing our identity and used to playing around with that uh, really aided her in her, her espionage adventures.
0: Mm-hmm. And some of them were jailed as well, right? I'm trying to remember. It's been a few years
1: since I read. Uh, Who was jailed? Belle and Rose. Yes. Bell and Rose were both jailed. Of course, Bell sort of idolized Rose. It's uh-huh. uh, another reason I thought they were a good uh, fit together um, in the book. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, she found out she had the cell right beneath Rose's old cell and was really sort of comforted by that fact. Um, but, but it was interesting. Rose and Belle had entirely different prison experiences. Rose was legitimately tortured as much as they would dare to torture a woman with a young child back then. Her young child was also in prison with her. And of course, Rose still tried to continue her spying from prison. But Belle, on the other hand, you know, Belle wanted to be tortured. She wanted to be elevated to Rose's status. She wanted to be a Confederate martyr like Rose. And all they did was just pamper Belle and give her everything she <laughs> wanted. And it was infuriating to her. So I, I thought that was quite funny.
0: <laughs> so what kind of paper trail did they leave behind? Do you mean I know that Emma wrote a memoir and Belle wrote a quite a bit. Um, what did, were there a lot of letters, a lot of diaries?
1: There was um, one, uh, another um, favorite thing in uh, the National Archives was just the ceased correspondence of Rose. You know, when Alan Pinkerton, the detective... Uh, staked out Rose and went through her home. She, she sees, I mean, there's at least maybe 16 love letters to Rose um, in the National Archives. And so it's just fascinating reading all of those. Um, there was Emma Edmonds' lover in the Union Army, or her, uh, her, her desired lover, I should say, the man she fell in love with and had a crush on and became a friend of hers. Um, he left a diary that mentioned Frank Thompson, his friend Frank Thompson, quite a bit. So that was great to get a viewpoint of a man in the Union Army who was serving alongside Emma Edmonds, but who knew her secret and called her Frank Thompson. He kept her secret mm-hmm. for her and really um, interesting insights there. Um, Elizabeth left a diary, but there were sort of lots of chunks of it missing. Um, and I was at the New York Public Library quite often going through the, the pages are all out of order and scribbled on. And she had this horrible trick-and-scratch handwriting um, to try to decipher. Um, but, you know, it, it was enough to at least piece together. And, and I was always lucky enough to connect with one of her um, descendants. It's actually her niece's great, great grandson, I think. Um who helped me piece together a lot of her fantastic espionage operation and exactly how she, um, used pinpricks and library books to send secret messages and how she used her brother's. Um, her brother was a, uh, a hardware manufacturer in, in Richmond, had a, a hardware business and would use his company invoices to sort of code language about military operations and things um, and send them off. And, and so there's, there's information there that has never been published before. And that was sort of a thrill.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really fascinating about the code and stuff. Yeah. Uh, did you have to learn code? <laughs>
1: Um you know i I studied like bits of it, and um uh, I was in touch with a, a former c i a codebreaker who read the manuscript for me, and you know he would just start talking about it, and at some point it became you know like like Charlie Brown the parents wah, 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 <laughs> and i couldn't understand, but you know i i think I understood enough of it to to what to do what I had to do, but he's on a obviously an entirely different level mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you see as the legacy of these women? you know I think that um they, they, here's a war that was fought entirely by men. You know, the women had no access to political discourse. They had no vote, they had no say. Um, And yet they were able to have a say, they actually influenced the outcome of the war. Rose in the beginning and Elizabeth, especially at the end. Ulysses uh, S. Grant would not have been victorious if it weren't for Elizabeth's Richmond Underground. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just think, you know, probably not enough people know about that. This woman legitimately helped the Union win the Civil War, and, and just what's more fantastic than that? Mm-hmm
0: one of my favorite things about Elizabeth was, you um, even note towards the end about how her one political act was to attach yeah. a note of solemn protest to her annual tax payment because she didn't, she thought it was unjust to tax someone who couldn't vote, which was yeah. an amazing thing. She,
1: she became a, a pretty, uh, you know, feminist in her later life and, and definitely has suffered an act of, for suffrage, mm-hmm. active for women's suffrage. suffrage. Okay,
0: well, thank you so much for talking with us today about Liar, tempter, Soldier, Spy. Do you have any idea who you're going to be writing about next?
1: Oh, I'm as we as I said earlier. I'm thinking about a novel. Um, of course, it's going to be based on a real person. I can't entirely uh, get rid of my love of history <laughs> and fact. Um, but it's a con woman that I wrote about once for a Smithsonian. Uh, who I then just I can't stop thinking about her. And she sort of conned her way into New York society, um, and then disappeared. Um, and and I sort of have ideas about what happens when her past catches up with her. So I'm kind of looking forward to trying to make things up this time around. But we'll see. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. I've been talking today with Karen Abbott about her book,
0: Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy. I'm Olaine Eaton. This is New Books and Biography. Thanks for
1: listening.